This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Moving Beyond the Past, and it comes from Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there are utility bills and tire rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether that's Amazon or Google or iTunes. We're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class. Well, last week we kicked off our study in the book of Haggai. And remember I told you that's how I think you pronounce it. If you're from Mississippi, you may say it, hey guy two syllables, but it's Haggai, and it's one of the final minor prophets. It's a short book, only two chapters. As we studied last week, we saw how the Jews had come back. They'd been in Babylonian exile. God had sent King Nebuchadnezzar to overthrow, and for 70 years they were in exile. During that time, the temple was destroyed, and now they've, after their 70-year exile, they are able to come back and rebuild the temple. Unfortunately, though, after just starting the temple, they focused on their own homes and their own businesses, and they established their own Jewish community without constructing the temple or finishing it. The Lord wanted his temple to be restored, and he's telling them, why are you focusing on your own priorities and your own self, and my house lays in ruins? And so we talked about that. If you remember, we talked about the importance of the temple. Back then, the temple was used for sacrificial offerings to the Lord to forgive the sin that we had in our lives back then. Now that Jesus come and died on the cross, we talked about this, that we are now the temple. We looked at several books in the Bible that just say that, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so now we're the temple But back then, the temple was where they went and they learned about God's word and they gave sacrificial offerings. And then we focused in the two things that, just like the people in the nation of Israel right here in Judah, back in Jerusalem, as they've come out of exile, didn't build the temple, what made them change their focus? And I told you there were really two things. There's external conflict and internal conflict. And we looked at the first one, external. We looked at how that in Ezra, in the book of Ezra, that they heard about them rebuilding this temple. They said, let us help you rebuild the temple. And they said no. And so they got lawyers and they told them, stop building. They even went to the king and petitioned him to give an order that they had to stop building the temple. And we also looked at the internal conflict. 
And the internal conflict really was them looking at themselves and making sure that they had what they needed. Again, if we're going to make Jesus Lord of our life, he has to be number one. We have to die to ourselves daily, and we looked at that. And we finished up looking last week at how they responded. We looked at verse 13, where the messenger of the Lord, which is Haggai, this is God speaking through Haggai, and tells them that I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And then the Lord stirred up a spirit in Zerubbabel and Joshua, not the Joshua that we know with Moses, but this is a different Joshua that we talked about, the high priest, and even a remnant of the people. And that remnant means God's chosen people. And so that remnant... God worked up a spirit in them, and they obeyed the Lord, and they worked on the house of the Lord. And I wrapped up by telling you that maybe you are like the Jews that are here in this remnant. Maybe you have let your walk stagnate. Maybe you've stifled your growth, and you focused on yourself, your job, your family. Whatever the focus was, it wasn't God. Well, it's not too late. Just like God told them it wasn't too late, even though he rebuked them, we see that he says, I'm with you. And when he stirred up that spirit in them because of their changed heart and they started rebuilding the temple. And we can do the same thing. We can have a better walk with Jesus. We can have a closer walk with Jesus if we will just take time to get in his word and spend time in prayer and put him first over our personal goals and ambitions. With all that said, that's where we finished up, and this is where we'll start. So if you would, turn with me to Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. We'll read the first nine verses. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah. Remember, he's a governor, kind of like a king, but they no longer have a king. God took that away from them when they went into captivity. He also took idols away. We talked about both of those. Picking back up. And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the women of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of the hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of the house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, if we go through this verse by verse, we're going to see the first two verses. In the seventh month, the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came. And so what that's saying is it's now been about 21 days since God first rebuked them about not building the house. We saw that about 21 days they started. So this is, again, the second thing that the Lord has said to them. And so he's saying on this 21st day of the month, and he's speaking to who? He's speaking to Zerubbabel, he's speaking to Joshua, and he's speaking to the remnant of the people, the same audience that he was talking to before. And right here in verse 3, I want to 
look into that for a minute. It says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? See, if you remember when King Nebuchadnezzar came in, there were people that were 10 to 20 years old that are probably still alive because it's been 70 years. So that means they would be 80 to 90 years old. So they had seen the temple before King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. But remember, we read a little bit out of Ezra last week, and I want to go back to that because this is, again, addressing what happened as Ezra wrote about it. So if you'll flip back to Ezra, the book of Ezra, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 10. I'm reading out of the ESV. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Aspha and the cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout while they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And this is where God is asking this question. Verse 12, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father of the house, old men who had seen the house first, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping. For the people shouted with great shout, and the shout was heard far away. But we see in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Ezra that there are these priests and Levites and head of the house, old men, that have come back in this remnant and they had seen the temple before. And they wept aloud because they're saying, oh, this is nothing compared to its glory and its beauty that it was when Solomon built this thing. The precious gold and silver and stones and wood that was in Solomon's temple was not going to be in this temple. You probably are asking the same thing I am. Then why is God satisfied with a house that was only a poor shadow of the house of Solomon, the one that he built? You would think God would want the most beautiful temple possible. You would think that he would supply them with gold and silver and precious stones and wood just like he did for Solomon. He would want his house to be like a kingly palace. Why would he ask this question, pointing out the poverty or the lack of beautiful items and do nothing to change that? Well, as I researched this, because this is a question that I'd really not thought about, found that a lot of commentators said that the reason that God was satisfied with this was because Jesus was coming on the scene. Just 400 years from now, Jesus is going to step his foot on earth and he's going to step out of heaven down there as a baby they needed to start looking away from the temple and they needed to start looking towards Jesus Christ. The temple itself needed to be a shadow of Jesus Christ, just like this temple was a shadow of the original one that Solomon built. And we'll get to it in a minute, but Haggai 2.9 promises the coming of Jesus Christ, that he is the true temple of God, that he is the Messiah, God with us. He is Emmanuel. He is the fulfillment of, a, of all God's promises to dwell with his people. So look what he says in verse 4 and 5. He reassures that the presence of God is with them and that he is okay with the way it's looking. For I am with you is what it says, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise or the covenant which I made with you, 
When you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in, the, in your midst, just like I promised, just like the covenant we made. So do not fear. Go to work. Build this temple for me. As God speaks through Haggai, he reminds them of the covenant that he made with Israel as far as back as Exodus when they left Egypt. And he says, just as my presence was there then, it will be here now. And the beauty to you and I is that the Lord is still with us. If we've accepted Jesus Christ, he lives inside of us. And just like the temple may not be as pretty as gold and silver, we are beautiful in God's eyes. We are that gold and silver. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. God has forgiven us. We've asked for his forgiveness. We've made him Lord of our life, and God now sees us just like the first temple. He sees the beauty inside of us, even though sometimes we can't see the beauty because of the scars of the trials and the stuff that we've been through. But God says that he cares about you. God says that he loves you. God thinks about you all the time. My brother Nate, who's a pastor down at Frontline Christian Center, which airs here right on WMER at noon every Sunday, and then I believe it's at 7 p.m. at night, he loves to quote this verse. This may be his favorite, one of his favorite verses in the Bible for sure, coming out of Psalms 139.18, reading out of the ESV. If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Let's take it out of the New Living Translation, Psalms 139.18. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. What God is saying to David as he writes this down in this psalm is that God thinks about us more than the grains of sand. When we go to sleep, when we wake up, he's still with us. God loves us that much that he is constantly on your thought. Have you ever been to the beach? Have you ever just picked up one handful of sand? Think about all the grains of the sand, and God thinks about you more than that. Is that not love? And so God reminds them through Haggai of his covenant all the way back to Exodus and how his presence was with them then and it's been with them all along. And then God goes on to say, do not fear. And that is a military language. Warriors were often challenged just like this. As they were getting ready to go into battle, they would say, do not fear, be bold, be brave, go take this. And so God is challenging them. He's saying, do not fear, build this temple. Well, this reminds me of what David did when they were ready to build the first temple. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, he challenges the nation of Israel. And then in verse 9, he challenges Solomon. And that's where I want to pick up. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David says to Solomon, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. And we can learn from that verse right there. If you seek him, he will be found by you, because he knows your heart. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. And this is very similar to what God speaking through Haggai says. Be strong and do it. So God speaking through Haggai, he says something similar when he tells them, fear not, do it, build this house for me. And then these final three verses, verses six through nine, are a messianic statement. First, we see in verse six and seven that he will shake the universe. 
In verse 6 it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more I, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. See, the Lord is telling them, and he's telling us, that he's not finished. He's still letting his plan work its way out. He's already knows how things are going to happen. But he's letting the world work through all the things that he's already put into his plan. See, his kingdom of righteousness and peace on earth will be here. And he has still more arsenal in his gun. He hasn't fired that final bullet yet. He's fired several bullets. He's allowed them to go into exile. He's allowed them now to come out. He's cured them of idolatry. He's cured them of a king. And now he's telling them, hey, I'm going to show the world that my temple is coming one day. And he's not just talking about the temple that they are rebuilding, but he's talking about Jesus Christ, who was the temple that came and will come and rule forever. And you and I need to understand that the world may seem like it's winning right now. Nations may seem arrogant and they may be independent of what God thinks and what God's word says, but there will be a day soon that will shake everything that they think they have. Then look at what he says in the second half of verse 7. So that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now these people are probably thinking that the treasures of the world are going to come in. The silver and gold and the luxury lumber and all the beauty of the previous temple is coming. But that's really not what he's talking about here. Remember, this is messianic. This is about Jesus. He even goes on to say that the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, first of all, everything on this earth is truly the Lord's. It is his. The silver is his. The gold is his. Our lives are his. He allows us free will, but God controls everything. Now, some commentators, though, talk about this being that in the future, this is talking about the millennial reign, that there will be wealth and, and silver and gold that will be brought as offering into the millennial temple. The glory, though, refer to the splendor of the temple when the Lord Jesus Christ is back in it, ruling it. But I love what the commentator Ryan says. He says that the value belongs to the Lord anyway. The nations boast in their wealth and their prosperity. Does that not sound like the U.S.? We brag about how well our economy is. We brag about our wealth and our ability to spend and, and to be able to acquire earthly things. But what he says is one day, no matter who you are, you will lay everything at the feet of Jesus Christ, the master of the universe. All silver and gold will be laid and worshiped him just like the kings were back in those days. God is telling his people, and he's telling us, we need to understand this. Don't be deceived by appearances. Don't be fooled by what things look like. Don't worry about what this looks like compared to the temple of the past. Don't have an inferiority complex because of what you did in the past. Don't have an inferiority or fear about that you're not good enough for the Lord. The Lord has changed you. He's made you his temple. The devil wants to fool you. He wants to draw you in. He wants you to think the reality is that if you look at your past, you're not worthy. If you look at what you've done, you're not good enough. The Lord is saying, don't let that reality affect you. Don't let your obedience be affected by what the devil may say to you because it's not true. It's lies. Some of you may be just like some of the people that were building this temple. And you're saying, what's the purpose? What's the use 
We can't overcome what's happened in the past. We're wasting our time. God can't use me for something beautiful or worthwhile. It will never come of it because of my past. Isaiah 38, 17 says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Jesus has put all our sins behind him. Psalms 103, 12 teaches us, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Let me put that in English language. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's infinity. Our sin goes into a sea of forgetfulness. God puts it behind him. He doesn't see it. All he sees is the blood of Jesus when we stand before him. So if you listen to the lie that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that your past will keep you from achieving what God has for you, you're listening to a lie and you're not being obedient to the word of God. See, if the devil can get you to believe that lie, then you can't believe any of the Bible because the theme throughout the Bible is that God made a provision for our sins, a way to be forgiven and to restore our fellowship with him. I'll give you one more, Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God promises that under this new covenant that Jesus went to the cross, that he forgives our wicked ways, he forgives our sins, and he remembers them no more. The apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. He was telling them about this very fact that we're talking about, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The fact that there is no condemnation means that those are who are in Christ will never have to answer for the sins that we did in the past. Christ paid that debt already. He died once for it. How far has the Lord taken us away from that sin? We turn from it. The sin is put behind Jesus. It is separated from the east to the west. It is infinity. It doesn't exist. God doesn't see it. And look how it finishes up in Haggai 2.9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So here God is referring to the former temple, Solomon's temple, which was a beautiful structure. But God, through Haggai, predicts a temple that will even be more glorious than Solomon and the later glory will be greater due to the wealth of the nations that pour in. And that's from verse 7 and 8. See, in verse 7 and 8, it says the Lord's will happen when he shakes all the nation, that there'll be a time of judgment on the world. And, and this hasn't come to pass yet. God hasn't shaken all the nations. And that's what this verse is really talking about. Matthew 24, Jesus said this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. So here, God is declaring his plan and that Jesus will return in all his power and his glory and he will shake the nations and everyone will, will bow a knee to him. Some commentators say this shaking will be the seven years of the tribulation. I'm not going to go that far. I am going to tell you, though, that God says he will shake the nations. Revelations 20 teaches us that Jesus will reign for a thousand years here on earth. But before that thousand-year reign, he returns and he established himself king in Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. 
amount of time. So let me close with this final thought. The verses that really stood out to me were verses 4 and 5, where he says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, the remnant of the people. Be all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. According to the covenant I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. See, what God is telling them and what he's telling us is work. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. He tells Zerubbabel, be strong. He calls him out. He tells Joshua, be strong as a leader. Be strong as a priest. All you people of the land, be strong in the Lord is what he says. Work. Keep at what I have called you to do. Keep at what I have called you to do. And he's called each of us to do a work. And are you rebuilding your temple? Are you walking closer to the Lord? Are you in God's word? If not, be strong. Ask for forgiveness. Keep at what he has called you to do. Because you're not alone. He is with you, declares the Lord. Before Jesus left this earth, he gave the great commission. And what did he tell his disciples? I will always be with you. You'll never be alone. Go make disciples of all nations. It's not going to be easy. You're going to face challenges. Your very life will be persecuted. But my spirit will be with you. It will be in you. And you will receive power from the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. And so I'm challenging you today, no matter how you showed up today, be strong. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Go make disciples of people in your world, the people that you're around. Go make a disciple. Go tell them about what Jesus has done. It's not going to be popular. There are going to be people that are going to tell you that you'll be fired over this or that you can't go up the corporate ladder because of this. You won't be able to graduate because of this. You won't be able to be a first string person because of this. You won't be able to be invited to parties because of this. There will be persecution, but God is with us. His Holy Spirit will is inside of us. And if we will just allow to ourselves to walk in him, we will receive his power and we'll be able to overcome the challenges just like we see in the book of Haggai. So I encourage you today in whatever work you're doing that God has called you to do, be strong. Do not fear when you're challenged. Do not fear when you face discouragement. Be courageous because God is with you and therefore you have no reason to be afraid or discouraged. You might say, Tim, that's easy for you to say. And it might be easy for me to say because I don't know the challenges that you're facing. I don't know the discouragement that you're facing, but God does. And he knows all things. And I just pray right now as we close for the strength that you will overcome and you will be strong. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today that you would deliver those that have heard this message today from fear. Lord, that they would be strong and they will go do you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but you gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. God, I pray that your spirit would remove all the fear and all the fear from the challenges. Lord, that you would cast out the fear of those that have heard this message today and it will fall on fertile soil. Lord, help us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, all our strength. Help us to take and obey your call, just like God spoke through Haggai and challenged them to do the work of the Lord, what the, he had called them to do. And Lord, let us not look at our past. Let it be behind us. Let us understand that you have already forgiven us. All you see is the blood of Jesus. Lord, now let us go spread that good news to others. 
God, help us care for those that are around us. Let us be your hands and feet. Let us point people to Jesus. Help us share the gospel. Help us to be strong and courageous in proclaiming your grace and your love. Or maybe there's one today that doesn't do some of this stuff that I just said. Lord, I pray right now, Father, that you would just listen to their prayer. Lord, as they may ask for forgiveness of being fearful or being afraid of what will happen, Lord, that you will help them be courageous. Lord, maybe there's one that's listening today that has never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would understand that you came from heaven down to earth, and yet you overcame the grave. You went to the cross. You died for not only my sins, but everyone's sin, their sins. And Lord, that you overcame death, believing on that, that they would say that you are Lord of my life, and I am going to allow your blood to wash away my sins. Lord, I pray that they would start walking boldly in that, and they would go tell others about how much you love them and you've forgiven them, no matter what they've done. Jesus, we thank you for all your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the blessings you do for this ministry. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.